Hello and welcome to the Feminine Genius Podcast. This is a podcast that celebrates all women of God and their unique genius. I'm your host, Rachel Wong. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Feminine Genius. I am joined by the incredible speaker, podcaster, and hobo missionary, Meg Hunter-Kilmer. Meg's life and witness is a true example of radical love and abandonment to the will of the Father. And I was very fortunate to score some one-on-one time with her at Rise Up 2019 in Toronto to hear more of her story and mission. Together, we talk about what it means to be a hobo missionary, her comprehensive knowledge of saints, and how God is always present in the journey, even despite our false starts. super stoked right now. I'm sitting in the hotel room of Meg Hunter-Kilmer. <laughs> I just heard her speak a couple hours ago uh, here in Rise Up and I'm just so excited. So Meg, thank you so, so much. Oh my gosh, it is my pleasure, Rachel. I'm excited to be chatting with you. <laughs> if I cry. <laughs> <laughs> I think just to start, for those folks who aren't familiar with the ministry and the work that you do, if you wouldn't mind just introducing yourself and sharing a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I am a hobo missionary, which means that I live out of my car. One time I was talking to this guy, and there were two guys, one was Catholic, one was Protestant, and I was like, yeah, so like being a hobo missionary, the Protestant one was like, oh, I'm not Catholic, so I don't know what that is. And I was like, oh yeah, nobody knows what that is, I made it up. (laughs) I used to be a regular person with like a house and a job and things like that. I grew up outside D.C., went to Notre Dame, got two degrees in theology, Taught middle school and high school religion for three years in Georgia, then for two years in Kansas. But seven and a half years ago, I felt like God was calling me to follow him in a literal way. So I moved into my car. And for the last seven and a half years, I've been homeless and unemployed. I drive around the country, fly around the world, give talks and retreats, tell people how much God loves them. Mm-hmm. 50 states, 25 countries. So it keeps me pretty busy. All right. And I saw on your social media that you are saying that you'd been to Canada quite a few times, but this is the first time that you'd actually spoken in Canada. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. I've spoken in Japan and in Korea and in Malta, and but not Canada. It's like, okay, we need to fix that. Right. Well, I'm thrilled that this was made possible, so just... Yeah, props to CCO rise up. <laughs> For me, like, I knew that I hadn't been familiar with your ministry as well until... A couple months ago, and I think I shared this with you when I met you last night, that my first encounter with you on social media was this photo that you had shared about how you were discerning with the Dominicans. You were there, and then God had other plans. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about that and, like, you know, your personal faith journey. Just because that was a really moving photo for me to see, and the caption and the witness that you shared with that. so It was so striking, yeah. the reaction people had. So it was 10 mm-hmm. years since I had entered, yes. and I was only in religious life for three months. Yeah. And so, I don't know, in a lot of ways it sort of feels like a blip to me, you know, right. like three months out of 36 years. Sure. But I was like, oh, well, it's my 10th anniversary of entering. I should probably just, like, jot something off real quick and post it, and it'll get, like, you know, 250 likes or whatever, and it'll be fine. 
And then a million people saw it. A literal million people. And I, it's like a photograph of me in postulant clothes. So I look like an orphan. And it's like blurry. And I'm standing like full front facing the camera, arms at my side. Like it just, it, it was like a, an orphan yearbook picture. Um, and I was like, this, this is the photograph that everybody's going to see. But mm-hmm. I think what really resonated, I was just talking about how You know, 10 years ago I entered and it was so much harder to leave than it was to enter because it felt like I was saying that I failed. And that one of the most important things I've learned in years of false starts is that God is not a God of destinations. He's a God of the Mm -hmm. journey and that he can call you to enter religious life and not call you to take vows. He can call you to get engaged and not call you to get married. He can call you to med school and not call you to be a doctor. We think of these processes as being failures if they don't end the way that we expect them to. But God is at Mm -hmm. work in the process. And I think Mm -hmm. we just get so caught up in the need to be right. Um, And the the fear that if we get it wrong, then like God's going to be mad at us or like we don't get a second chance or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, there are definitely things in my life where I'm sure God was like, wow, that was a terrible idea. But like, okay, now you're in Turkey and here we go. Turkey, let's go. You know, like he's a lover. Mm -hmm. He's not a taskmaster. Mm -hmm. And so recognizing that if we are seeking to be in his will and we make an absolutely wrong choice, he's not just going to roll his eyes and still love us. Like he's going to bless us in that mistake and he can bring greater good out of a mistake Mm. than out of our never having made that mistake. And sometimes they're not mistakes. Sometimes we are following God on a path that he intends to end somewhere differently different than we think it's going to. And just the freedom that comes in that and being like, okay, like I don't I don't have to know for sure. People mm-hmm. ask me all the time, how do you know for sure that you're called to marriage? Like you got married. That's mm-hmm. how you know. Like until mm-hmm. you are married, you don't know. Like how do you know for sure you're called to priesthood? Because you got ordained. And then you're called to priesthood. But up until that point, there's always going to be uncertainty. And that's okay because this mm-hmm. is not a multiple choice exam. This is a love affair. <sighs> That's amazing. Oh my goodness. Now, you're talking about your time discerning that two degrees in theology, Mm -hmm. like master's? Mm -hmm. Undergrad and master's. Okay. And then, you know, you were teaching and, and I guess it's like what really struck me is that like you were saying a life of like false starts and whatnot. And now it's been seven years since like you have begun this new mission and ministry. And I guess it's like going back to the beginning of that seven years and as maybe God was starting to plant the seeds of this idea, this countercultural, radical idea in your heart. Like, what was that like to hear these ideas and just be like, this is what you want me to do? Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's sort of baffling because I'm, I'm really type A. People all the time are like, oh my gosh, you must be so bohemian. And I'm like, ooh, nope. No, I like plans and rules mm-hmm. and Excel spreadsheets. But it just was right. And I think that's why it was so clear to me that this is where God was calling me, mm-hmm. is that it, it just was right, and it shouldn't have been. It didn't make any sense, right? Nothing mm-hmm. about it made any sense, mm-hmm. and yet it all just seemed to fit, and there was a piece that was unreasonable. And I think that unreasonable piece is something to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. It's New Year's Eve today as we record, and New Year's is always a, a time of reflection, over time, like, what has been some of the most, like, striking or memorable 
destinations or talks that you might have gone or even just experiences that you've had with the Lord? Yeah, I mean, gosh, there are so many mm-hmm. that I probably should have been writing down, but I guess a lot of them are on Instagram. I mean, there was the time that I was homeless in Istanbul when they were under martial law and there was rioting in the streets. Like, that was, you know, and God was like, you think I'm not God in Turkey? Like, I'm obviously God in Turkey. I got you. And he, like, sent me some nuns. What? In Turkey? There are the big headline moments like that, and then there are just the moments of encounter with an individual or encounter in prayer. One of the most striking moments of my last seven and a half years was definitely I was in the Jesu in Rome where St. Ignatius Loyola and St. Francis Xavier are buried and I was in front of this image of the Sacred Heart and I love the Sacred Heart but Mm -hmm. I hate images of the Sacred Heart. Mm -hmm. Like some of them are okay but most of them are really ugly and like weird and Jesus' face doesn't look like that and like why did you make him weak-chinned and wispy-bearded? Like what is Mm -hmm. going on? And I, I learned recently that this image is actually like the image it's sort of like the archetype of what the anyway so I'm praying in front of this ugly image and I'm so annoyed because I'm like I have to do my holy hour I have to do it right now this is like the only way it's going to work in my schedule and I have to do it in front of this terrible picture like I'm in Rome and everything's beautiful except this thing I looked up at one point and I was so annoyed and I was like what even is that face like what does that face even mean because he's making this like weird sort of pathetic face and he's holding out his heart and he's gesturing at his heart mm-hmm. and I felt the Lord say why is this not enough for you? And I, I mean, it was a physical reaction. I gasped and I grabbed my heart and my face. And there was actually a kid that I know who was genuflecting right next to me when this happened. And he like just stared at me because he's like right, like face level with me. And later he was like, so, uh, so do you like hear God's voice when you pray? And I was like, yeah, about that. Uh, that was intense. But I mean, just this moment where the Lord, like, yes, it was a rebuke, but it was also, he was like, baby, talk to me. Like, why is my heart not enough for you? What more do you want? And I was like, okay, you know what? I have a list. Like, let's talk about this. And just like that rawness mm-hmm. of looking at Jesus and being like, I know that your heart should be enough, but it's not. And I know that that's a fault. And I know that it should be enough. But I also know that you love me where I am and not just where I should be. And I know that you want to heal my brokenness. You don't just want to dismiss it. And so I just sat with him and I was like, these are all of the things that I long for that you haven't Mm -hmm. given me. And, you know, and just having the Lord be like, and will you still love me if I never do? And saying like, yeah, I will. I will. And it might never be easy, but that's okay because... I didn't sign up for easy. And I, I think one of the beautiful things that I'm hearing from you and like thinking about my own experiences of just, you know, and, and I know that there's still like a whole life to live ahead of me. There's still so many ways that God can come through. But I know that especially as women sometimes, like we, we worry about what is going to happen, what's not going to happen. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't happen, then what is my backup? Yeah, right? backup plans yeah. for God. Like, Shoot. And then it's like in that, when did you realize that you were still going to love him anyway? Because mm. I know that for me, it's something that I know in my head, but it's like, do I know that in my heart? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like constantly the invitation. Mm. And my my life has really been one of deeply unsatisfied longings. Have you seen the new Little Women that just came out? Yes. Yeah. When Joe has just found out that Lori married Amy, which 
God love the director of that film. I did not think it was possible to redeem Amy, but I loved Amy in that movie, mm-hmm. and I have hated her my entire life. <laughs> Joe fi- finds out that Lori is married to Amy, and she's coming down the stairs, and Amy turns to her with tears in her eyes, and the, the look on Joe's face of, I am dying inside, but I will choose to be happy for you. I was like, who, if that's not the expression of my lifetime... I don't know what is, because this is all the time. Lucy Maud Montgomery, God Love Canada, uh, has a beautiful line in, I think, Anne of the Island, where she says, it is sometimes rather lonely to be surrounded everywhere by a happiness that is not your own. And just recognizing, like, sitting with the Lord and being like, I may always want these things, and I may never have them, but I know that I am loved, and I know that I am I'm seen and I'm known and I'm held. Mm-hmm. And I think the Sacred Heart is just such a beautiful expression of that to me, where the Lord is in it, the image of diving inside the hole in his Sacred Heart and just mm-hmm. being like, it's not enough right now for you to put your arms around me. Like, mm-hmm. I need to be enveloped because I can't. I just can't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think that it's been something that the Lord has continued to grow in me. But the first time I think I remember... I was, I felt like an old maid already. I think I was 20, maybe 21. But all of, you know, I went to Catholic college, so all of my friends were already engaged, uh, starting to get married. And I just remember getting up in the middle of the night. This never happens to me. It's 3 o'clock in the morning, and I just started writing. And I, and I just had such a profound realization of the way that my longing had made my heart open for him and mm-hmm. how easily I make idols of relationships and how the Lord had preserved me from that through through the lack of relationship, through the lack of home, through the lack of satisfaction. Yeah, and I think that that's been just very much my spirituality in mm. really my entire adult life. And before then, I think I still had that dissatisfaction, but it was more like, but it's going to happen eventually. Mm. But really for the last like 15 years, being like, it might not. I may never have a home and I may never have a husband and I may never have children and I may may never be successful and I may die alone you know Mm -hmm. like that's always that's where my pity party goes especially when my friends complain about their kids I'm like well at least you're not gonna die alone my friend one time was like no I'm gonna die with people jumping on top of me screaming mommy and I was like it's fair it's different struggles right it's different struggles but I also know that if the Lord gave me a home and gave me a husband and children and a community and like all of these things like there would still be unsatisfied longing because what I'm longing for is him, and that's never fully satisfied in this world. Right. Uh, and I am largely grateful for the ache that has driven me to him. And most of the time, I wouldn't trade it. And sometimes maybe I wouldn't. <laughs> I didn't realize this until I heard you speak, but you have an amazing, just amazing knowledge of all these saints, but not just like, you know, saints that anyone and everyone can rattle off, but just maybe like the lesser knowns and, you know, blesseds and venerables. And just, you have a whole collection of friends who are in heaven. And I was wondering like how you came to just have that interest and develop this database, so to speak, of Yeah, it's been a fairly recent thing. I mean, Mm -hmm. like in the last five or six years. I always was kind of like, okay, saints are not blasphemy. Like, that's fine. You can ask saints to pray for you. I don't know why you would. I don't know why you wouldn't just go straight to Jesus. 
And then I read the book Modern Saints by Anne Ball, who I realized recently is dead. And I thought, you know, I had been thinking I should find her and I should tell her, yeah. like, how instrumental this book has been in my life and really in the lives of thousands and thousands of people because the love that was awoken in me in this book has has changed lives all over the world. But she she passed away in 2008. And I was like, oh. But then I was like, oh, well, that's easier to talk to her, actually. Thanks, Handball. But, yeah, I read this book and I was like, wait, these stories are interesting? And they're about Jesus? Because, that I mean, people don't tell these stories well. Like, they make saint stories boring and they make them mm-hmm. just about accomplishments and it doesn't have anything to do with Jesus or my life and just the realization of the brokenness in the lives of the saints and the way that that can speak into people's hearts. And I was talking to a priest friend of mine recently and he said, you know, the biggest step in evangelization is when you can name someone's brokenness and say the Father loves you in that brokenness. And I realized that's why I love the saints so much mm-hmm. is because you don't have to tell me. You know, I can stand in front of an audience and I can say, here is a specific example of a person who struggled with suicidal ideations and is a saint. Here is a specific example of a person who was sexually assaulted and is a saint. Here, You know, and like for survivors of sexual assault, for people with suicidal ideations, for them to hear that and be like, wait, what? Like, I thought this was a hidden shame that I couldn't let Jesus into and be like, girl, we will put a halo on that. Like, you know, and just the freedom. And and people, you know, with less traumatic things where it's just like, oh, but I'm a scientist. And I'm like, okay, well, this guy's the father of geology and, like, one of the greatest scientific minds of the century, so of the 16th century, or 17th century. So, like, Mm -hmm. actually you can be a scientist and you can be a Christian at the same time. Like, nobody's Mm -hmm. impressed by this dichotomy that people have tried to propose. It's such an easy path to evangelization because it's just a story. Like, people love stories. And it it feels non-invasive when I'm just like, oh, here's a story of a cool saint. You're like, oh, cool. Like, I can do that. Whereas mm-hmm. if I'm like, can I tell you about how your behavior needs to change? <laughs> like, you don't want to hear that. But yes. if I'm like, here's a saint who was, like, so amazing on behavior change because she fell in love with Jesus and he brought her all this healing. You're like, wow. Now maybe I want to examine what the Lord could do in my life. Right. And do you have a favorite? I know it's so hard because you you know so many. I do. Yeah. Maybe top three. So <laughs> my for the last three years, I've said my best saint friend is Blessed Peter Kibe, who was a mm. Japanese Jesuit martyr. They wouldn't ordain him. The Jesuits mm-hmm. wouldn't. And so yeah. he went, he volunteered with them for eight years. They still wouldn't. They got kicked out of the country, so he went with them to China. And they wouldn't ordain him because he was Japanese. So he went to Goa, and they wouldn't ordain him because they were just like, oh, we don't ordain native clergy. And he was like, everybody's racist. I'm going to Rome. And he walked, the last leg of his journey, he walked 3,700 miles, which is just so good for me when I'm having a pity party about how hard my life is because I, like, can't find my book. And Kibe's like, I walked 3,700 miles. And I'm like, fine, I can walk to church for this mass that we're about to go. <laughs> fine, it's like a 20-minute walk. My life is so hard. <laughs> And, yeah, eventually he was ordained, and he Mm -hmm. went back to Japan. So it took him 24 years from when he left, when he first asked to be a Japanese priest until he made it back to Japan, a Jesuit priest. So he's amazing, just that witness of perseverance and dedication. The saint who loves me most is St. Barnabas. You you mentioned that earlier, yes. He was St. Paul's best friend, and I am Paul. And I figure if you can love Paul, you can love me. And he does. And I, I just, I had this moment in prayer on his feast day in 2018, so June 11th, where I was just so overwhelmed by the consolation of his love for me. I have never in my life felt that loved by anyone but God himself. Not mm. even the Blessed Mother. And I know that she loves me more. 
but just that the sensibility of it and I was just like weeping mm -hmm. because I was it was just so powerful you know and like all the saints love all of the people right but I do think they have favorites and I think that that's okay like maybe yeah. St. Barnabas isn't that into you he's like yeah Rachel she's great I love her but me he's like oh that is my girl <laughs> but then there are saints who look at me and are like yeah okay whatever but they look at you and they're like ah Rachel I love her right <laughs> And I just think that's so beautiful that it's yeah. like real relationship and that they also desire mm -hmm. for us to love them because that relationship brings us deeper into the embrace of Christ. Mm -hmm. Not because the saints in heaven are like, pay more attention to me, but because they know that they have a connection to you that is going to help you feel, feel loved and feel chosen and feel calls to holiness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because ultimately, like you've mentioned already it's like that call to sainthood and that call to holiness we just want to be up there like with all of our saint friends like that's just so powerful yeah oh, man. one of the things that i really wanted to ask you was in terms of you know so many times you've given your yes throughout you know your journey so far and you know seeing where you are now in terms of like giving your yes and being faithful to the lord like what has been the greatest grace or virtue that has come out of it for you? I mean, I think, I don't know, I'm learning to trust him more. I think it's just knowing that, that he sees me. I'm not, like when I'm saying yes to do some ridiculous thing, like live in a car, just the way that he delights in that. And I know that he delights in me regardless of whether I'm being faithful, mm -hmm. but just imagining the heart of the Father when I'm like, all right, I guess I'm going to live in a car. And he's like, I can't believe she's actually going to do it, you know? And there's a, there's a freedom, certainly, in trying to give control of your life to the Lord. And there's been all kinds of, of grace of Him healing and affirming me mm -hmm. through all of this. But really it's just that I'm not saying yes because he is requiring it. I'm saying yes because the bridegroom is wooing me. And that's a very different experience of obedience. Mm -hmm. So you like sit with that for a Because <laughs> the way that you talk about relationship and love and that the intimacy between Christ as the bridegroom and then his church, us, myself as an individual, as his bride is... Is so powerful. And I think maybe just to tie this all together, as you know, the podcast's name is The Feminine Genius. In terms of, like, your own personal feminine genius throughout your life, how do you see that growing? I am really good at being a mother to other people's children. And I think that's, that's the area of my femininity that I feel strongest in is maternal love, spiritual motherhood, particularly with people who are experiencing deep brokenness mm -hmm. and just recognizing that the Lord has given me this grace to love them in that brokenness. And it's a particularly beautiful thing for me because I'm not by nature a good listener. Like there's a lot of things I do that I am by nature good at and I recognize that that is gift by nature and also gift by grace. Like I'm just naturally a good speaker. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm naturally a good writer and God has compounded that by grace. Um, but it would be very easy for me to 
confuse where the gift comes from when it's something that is innate to me. I am not by nature a good listener. And I never was a good listener until all of a sudden one day in college, maybe grad school. And I remember where I was. I was in the student center at Notre Dame and I had this conversation with someone and I shouldn't have cared because I normally didn't care about other people's like stupid problems. And I was just like sitting there waiting for them to stop talking so it can be my turn. <laughs> and I came out of this conversation. I talked to someone. I was like, I feel like I just worshipped. Like the experience of listening and loving her in her brokenness and being present to her mm-hmm. was an experience of worship and an encounter with the divine. And it's basically a switch flipped. And there are certainly times when I get in the way and I'm like annoyed at people for talking to me because I have other things to do. But I didn't have the capacity to receive people in that way and to love them in that way and to mother them in that way mm-hmm. until the Lord was like, I can't, you, you just can't. Mm. be who I need you to be without this Mm -hmm. supernatural grace. And so I'm just, I'm so much more grateful for that gift of mine than I am for the gifts that I have by nature because I'm so much more aware of the fact that it is a gift. Mm -hmm. For anyone who listens to this and, you know, maybe God isn't calling them to drop everything and get into their car and, like, move into their car and go and preach around the world... But perhaps, like, there is something that they need to, like, let go of. Or they don't even know that God needs them to let go of in order for them to really enter into that relationship with him fully. What advice do you have for people to just let him love us? Silent prayer. Always, always. I mean, go to confession. And then silent prayer. You, Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody needs to make a commitment. Every Catholic who is serious about the faith needs to make a commitment to daily silent prayer without distraction, without books, without rosaries. Like, do those things too. That's great. But you need time in silence every day, particularly when you're not trying to figure something out, particularly when you're not trying to make a decision or consent to something you know the Lord is asking you to do. Just just to love on Him, just to be uncomfortable in the silence with Him. Mm-hmm. I think, I don't understand why we don't talk about this more as a church, because it's essential for holiness. Like you, can't, you can't be holy if you're not pursuing the Lord in silence. Like It's not enough just to do the devotionals and check the boxes. Those are good. Like Do those things too, but the priority has to be on just coming naked before your lover hmm. and asking him to show you what it is that he loves you. Thank you so much, Meg. Oh it truly was a pleasure. My pleasure, really. Thank you again to Meg Hunter-Kilmer for joining me on this episode today. Be sure to follow her on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and I'll be sure to leave that account information below. Please stay up to date with us by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are at FemGeniusPod. Download this episode as well as all episodes of the podcast wherever you listen to your shows, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, SoundCloud, you know the drill, and you will find it. Just search up the Feminine Genius Podcast. We'll talk to you next time, and God bless always.